Hi, and welcome to another episode of Block Talk, presented by Theatre in the Now. I'm your host, as always, Michael Block. Before we get started, a couple things. Want to support Theatre in the Now? Head on over to patreon.com slash theatre in the now and become a patron of the website today. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And as always, follow us on Twitter and visit theaterinthenow.com for the latest news, reviews, and interviews. here today live on the road at the loft at the Davenport Theater to talk a little bit about Random Access Theater. How are you ladies? Doing good. How are you? Um, I'm not bad. I'm enjoying the weather. It's finally like nice out. Though though Uh allergies I feel like are just not okay. Yeah. I've had a pretty bad allergy attack the past week but I'll get through it. It's a time of year. But Mm -hmm. why don't you introduce yourselves and tell us why we're here what we're talking about. Absolutely. Um, I'm Victoria Teague. I'm the marketing director for Random Access Theater. I'm Jennifer Sandell, and I'm the artistic director for Random Access Theater. Um, And we are uh, opening up a resistance and rebellion in rep this Thursday, May 4th, here at the loft of the Davenport Theater. We're doing two plays in rep. Uh, We're doing a production of Ernst Toller's Hopla, We're Alive, um, and Antigone. Uh, which is a new adaptation and you know we've tried to choose two shows that kind of deal with themes of injustice and people rebelling against that and we're running May 4th through 28th uh, Thursday through Sunday at 730 with alternating performances each weekend. Awesome. Well we're gonna talk deep about those but let's learn about you both first. So where are you from? I grew up here in New York City by way of what was Greenwich Village, Little Italy, but is now Soho. Nice. So, uh, but now I'm based in Brooklyn. So, hmm. um, I'm from Texas originally. I uh, have been up here for about five years now, like, working and uh, doing theater, and got involved with Random Access a couple years ago. Uh, but Jen is a founding member of Random Access. Uh, Indeed. Yeah, we've been around. So talk about the origin of Random Access. Yeah, uh, yeah Random Access is, was a collaboration between Myself and a really great friend of mine, Jessica Coe, who has recently left us for the West Coast. <laughs> Damn West Coast. <laughs> I know. They, took they her. take them all. <laughs> Never ending sunshine. I can't compete. <laughs> Although now she's at Oregon Shakes, so rain. Yeah, right. Um, but we've been around for almost seven, seven, uh, seven and a half years now. Uh, we do up to three main stage shows a season, but usually it's two. Our, our mission is to reimagine the classics for a contemporary audience, and that's anything from adaptations to new twists on classic plays to reimagining of classic themes and tropes. Uh, so you've done a little bit of, of everything. Um, I've always had a really strong fascination and love of classical theater, um, especially sort of the Elizabethan Jacobean era of non-Shakespeare all the way into restoration. I'm a big fan of restoration comedy Um, and so I was just kind of looking for an outlet to explore that and um, do things that were old and fun and not Shakespeare. So Jess felt the same way and we really hit it off in London when I was going to grad school and she was there on a program 
And when we came back to the city, we were like, you know what, we're just going to do this. Nice. And how did you get involved? Um, I saw an ad on Playbill. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I came through, I came to them, uh, I basically had an interview. Um, but similarly, I was very intrigued by the mission of Random Access. Um, and I think we do, a, I, I really like that we're able to take classical theater um, that has themes that are relevant today. Um, like, I feel like we don't ever just do a classic piece of theater just to do it, just for fun, yeah. you know? Um, and so I've, I've been very, um, I feel very lucky to be able to work on those sort of uh, shows. Yeah, we, we've kind of developed uh, what we like to call random access theater period light. <laughs> so you get the feeling and the idea of the period, but it's presented to you in a way that feels contemporary, which is the way that these plays would have felt when you were seeing them when they were first written. They weren't always classics. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the plays. Yeah. So you both are directing one. Mm -hmm. Who, what, what, which is the first one up on Thursday? Uh, it's Hopla, We're Alive. Well, let's talk about that one first. All right. With an exclamation point. With an ex Hopla exclamation point. <laughs> We're Alive. <laughs> Um, this is a play from the 1920s. Uh, it was written by Ernst Toller. His most famous play is probably The Machine Wreckers. Um, he's part of a, a movement of German playwrights who were really exploring the role of the masses in society at that time. Um, he was a, a Jewish-German playwright as well, and so he had some personal problems that were not great yeah. in the 20s. <laughs> um, and that made him uh, very politically active in his writing. Um, it also led him to a really sad end of his life, um, not in, I think, in, not in Germany, but he, he had fled before that happened. But um, it's, it's an amazing play because so much of, of the rhetoric in it really resonates with kind of the, the populist movement that I think many of us would like to see with um, regards to you know, more power to the people versus the government. Um, what is democracy? How do the people exist in a democracy? How does the government rule democratically but still function? Um, and then there is an underlying conflict of democracy versus dictatorship and what is actually be better and more appropriate for the masses. I can't see my quotation marks. <laughs> um, <laughs> Air quotes. Air quotes. Um, so I think it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of strong language in it, and I think a lot of people will really get it and let it resonate with them. And no matter what end of the spectrum you lay on, you, can, you feel some of the things that we're reading about in the news. So it was, it was an important piece, I think, to bring back to light. And how did you find it first? I am a crazy play stalker. Okay. Um, so I, I was initially interested in Toller... Um, because I know his story, and, and it was after the election when I was thinking about similar situations in history and the kind of plays that we would like to do, and we had talked about doing the Antigone, and we wanted something that would go hand in hand with that, but not necessarily also be Greek. Sure. Um, and so I was, looking, I was looking pretty closely at 1930s Germany, uh, but there's not a lot of plays written at that no, time really. and the ones that were have either been burned or hidden or are not available uh, yeah um so i went a little bit earlier in time and so this this play is it, you know it 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 gets influenced from that movement but it also a lot from from the so socialist movement 
after World War I. Um, so actually, I think it almost resonates more than if we were a little bit later on, um, being in the 20s. And so I was just reading a lot of Toller, and I had a hard time finding this play, and I actually just ended up purchasing a used copy from an mm -hmm. antique book dealer on the internet and <laughs> crossing my fingers and hoping for the best. <laughs> awesome. So let's t move over to Antigone a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah, it's a, a modern adaptation, and like we were saying, you know, we uh, had talked about doing Antigone, and then Jen found Hopla, and so uh, I adapted it, and, and so when I adapted it, I was able to kind of um, adapt it in knowing that we were doing Hopla, um, and so the themes that resonate between the both of them, are, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> like when we when we read them, and we were sort of like, "Wow, all of these things are um, you know really match up." Um, and so yeah, I mean, and I was intrigued by um, Antigone because you know she has this very strong um, character historically, but also was 15 years old, sure, sure. Uh, you know, and same with Ismene and Haman and all these characters. So I was very drawn to this idea of, of the youth of these characters and that obviously she made this incredible decision, uh, this very strong, powerful decision, but, you know, did she understand? Like, did she really know what she was doing and, and does that matter? Um, and uh, so anyway, I, I wanted to look at that and I also was intrigued by um, exploring these characters a little more um, deeply as far as not just making Creon a villain, sure. uh, Antigone a hero, you know what I mean? And that sort of thing, because that's kind of boring, you know, like nobody is just one or the other. And so I uh, sort of tried, I set out to accomplish that and to create a contemporary adaptation that is um, relatable today, um, that keeps those same themes from the original. I think you both answered why these plays now, but is there like a word or phrase besides, you know, the title of the, um, of the pairings that really would help an audience resonate uh, why these two plays are together? I think human. They're both very human stories. Yeah. And immediate. They feel timely and politically active. Yeah, and just uh, both of these people were, or people, I say people, I'm thinking of um, of Carl in, in yeah. your play, but, but both of these um, kind of protagonists were uh, faced with a really big, decision a big moment you know um and and just sort of the way that those were carried out um the bravery you know they're they're there. both characters who stand on conviction yeah and they won't let it be rattled thanks yeah so the shows are done in rap you're doing some fun little cast sharing what, what what's that experience like it is the worst <laughs> idea ever. Don't say that. <laughs> For scheduling. For scheduling. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. No. Um, I think it's really wonderful. It is cool. We've been so lucky to have a cast of actors who've just completely thrown themselves into not only the plays and their characters, but the idea of the rep and, um, and finding the relationships between each character. At, you know... At first, we 
we tried to cast kind of similarly from like one show to the other. Sure. Um, like with sim- with similar characters or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we just found it was more interesting to let people explore like different ideas and find where they really fit in the different worlds of the play and be able to see them in different roles. And have you found that the actors that are double cast have brought in things from the other play into your plays? And oh, for sure. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and yeah, I definitely think that they have uh, brought in things. And also they've been able to, we've been able to have like great discussions about like what's going on across each play too, you know? Yeah, for sure. We talk about just where they're, where they're at. And especially on the rehearsals on Sundays, we share days. Mm-hmm. So when they have to go from one to the other, it, it's always, it takes time to get into the new headspace of it. Mm-hmm. So they're definitely going to bring in some of the things that they've been working on in the room prior to that. And how much do you cross-reference each other when you are directing the two plays? Not often. Yeah. Um, we've, we've had fairly, we, we check in with each other and we meet, but we've had pretty separate processes. Yeah. Um, Victoria and I are, are pretty different directors and we come from d- different schools of theater. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think, think will add to this. I do. Yeah. You're not going to see, and that's part of why, um, you know, I've never, even though I'm the artistic director, I've never directed all of the plays. Sure. Um, and most, I will direct one play season. Sometimes I don't direct them at all. Uh, and it's because I don't want every show that we do to look the same or feel the same. It's not, I, I wouldn't be interested in that. I, I don't, I, I don't like want people that. to appreciate say, that. yeah, mm-hmm. you don't want people to say, oh, I'm not going to go because I know what a random access play looks like. Exactly. So, and there's so many different ways of making these old pieces feel new. Yeah. And we've both exactly. done it in a very different way. So you'll have two completely different experiences. And I think the, the, just the vibe and the atmosphere and the visceral experience of both shows can be different, which is great. Yeah. It's the same, mostly the same casts. And when it comes to sharing a space, how much scenically and costume-wise interact with one another? Costumes are completely different. Yeah. Scenically, scenically um, it's going to look pretty much the same. There will be a couple of uh, additions, you know, yeah. uh, in each one. But more or less, we're, we're going with the same... We've, idea yeah cool. we've, we've got some neutral pieces and a couple of things that we can take on and off for the respective shows um, we've got a, a great lighting designer Chris D'Angelo who is finding ways to use mm-hmm. the same plot but with different looks and feels sure. so we get a different feeling from that experience um, but I think there's there's enough nice touches yeah that it'll it'll feel like a different world mm-hmm what do you hope the audience gets out of the shows? I'm really hoping to start conversation. Mm-hmm. I know we're kind of at the point, 100 days in, that people are tired of politics. Yes. And that's, that's where we have to work harder because we have to keep the conversation going. And we have to, that, I think in times like this, that's why art is really important. It doesn't have to be political per se, but it should be sparking conversation and bringing people together. And I'm hoping that the shows do that. And also, I think, for on my end, what I've been thinking a lot about as well is this idea of like history repeating itself. Um, mm-hmm. And with both of these plays, you know, it's like they're old, they're old pieces, but it's so easy to just, you know, do them now, and it feels like now, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, or just to. Just to kind of take these stories and um, adapt them and, and create them 
now and see how how just similar they feel, you know, and real and yeah. So I'm gonna ask a pretty big loaded question. How do you get an audience to come see your shows? If you have a good answer, yeah, let <laughs> us know. Um, uh, we, I mean, we've been fortunate that we've built a, a good community. Um, this is the first time we've ever run a show for four weeks, so we'll see how that goes. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, we're we're two and three week runs, but we believe in these plays and. We're lucky to have a really wonderful space here at the Davenport, and we want to share them with as many people as possible. Um, we do, you know, it's probably not the smartest fiscal idea, but we do a lot of discounting. Um, for me, I would always rather have a full audience at $5 a ticket than sure. half an audience at $18 yeah. a ticket. Um, because it's important for people to see your work and the work, and to, it makes it better when there are people here. Um, we try to work with groups. We frequently work with community groups. Uh, we have outreach. We do a lot of comps to senior centers and, and things like that because we want to engage, especially people who are here in the city. Um, the, the theater world is really changing since I've been here, which is yeah. more hmm. years than I'm going to admit on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I remember when there was a theater every five blocks and you could go see a little hole-in-the-wall show for next to nothing and be completely inspired and we're losing that and that makes me sad and I want to be part of the movement that keeps it here. What are the struggles of self-producing? It's really space. 100% of the time yeah. it's space. Um, I think space rental for our shows even in the past five years has doubled. Um, and there's just less spaces available. Right. And more and more artists are coming here. I, you know, I know there are other cities that people are flocking to now, but New York is still still the place you want to go. And when you lose your spaces, you lose your community, and it's hard to meet people, and it's hard to network, and it's hard to have an artistic home, which a lot of us have depended on. I mean, for years we were doing shows. Oh gosh, this was 12 years ago. But I was doing shows at Where Eagles Dare Theater. Mm-hmm. And we did shows there every year, and it cost us next to nothing. And people mm-hmm. came and saw our shows, and we. And it was great. Um, and that's gone. I, I mean, I could rattle on and on about sure, all the totally. that are gone. And that's just going to depress everyone. Right. <laughs> but but I think that is the biggest challenge facing small theaters today is we're losing the fringe theater. You work with a lot of repeat artists, which I think is quite awesome. Why is it important to establish a theatrical community and to have a space and outlet for young artists? Well, it goes back to what I think what you were saying about about creating a community and about uh, like we have our artistic associates and um, yeah, I mean, well, you keep going on that. But well, I mean, you always want to you want to work with people that you like. True. So I mean, that's part of it, and you and know, give them chances to play different things. It, and, yeah. Exactly, it's really fun to watch people grow. Um, one example is uh, Jessica Mosher, mm-hmm. who's playing Antigone. She's been with us now. This is her one, two fifth random access show um but this is her largest role to date and she, i mean the girl should be a star but she's really good she, yeah she's <laughs> she's a marvelly she's a fantastic actor um we cast her in taming of the shrew through an open call but she's also just a wonderful person and a great friend and i'm lucky to have her just in my normal life but having her in our artistic lives is wonderful because she's a great collaborator 
Well, now I was going to say, too, is that I feel like both of us, we approach things differently, but we both um, are very collaborative in mm-hmm. our processes. And especially, I know, with me and with Antigone, like, I've been able to, like, have conversations with her about, like, what she thinks, you know, like, about the role and about what, just, like, we've been able to change it in the room every day. Um, and that's another thing. I feel like being comfortable with, with our actors, we're able to, to do that more easily yeah absolutely um when you know someone and trust someone it's it's easy to create with them yeah absolutely what inspires you as artists Hmm. i always like to be inspired by the people around me um my my pre-planning process for directing is usually pretty small mostly because I'm excited about seeing what people do sure. in the room. Um, as far as, as choosing pieces, I have some really ar- archaic tastes and things that I like. <laughs> do you have any dream plays <laughs> that you want to... Um, the Rover is definitely number one on my list. It's been number one. She's laughing at me because it's been there for a long time. <laughs> sip out time. We need to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's pretty high up there. Um, Machinal is high on my list. Um, I really love pieces that feature strong women in challenging situations, and there are more of them than I think get done. Yes. Mm-hmm. We do the same ones. <laughs> yeah. Speaking from interview. Do you have any dream, dream projects? <laughs> um, I mean, is it, I'm more. I mean, I'm I'm really inspired and interested in just seeing real people on stage, um, which has been my. That's always sort of my goal is to um put people on stage that are speaking to you and speaking to what's happening to you in your life um so i don't know about dream projects necessarily but that's sort of what i try to do and everything do you have any dream collaborators oh my goodness um I don't know. I shoot for the stars. Oh my god! Put gosh. it out there. Like just like generally. Um, yeah. I mean, what I if we're talking like uh, specific like playwrights and things that I always really like. Like I love like everything that Lucas Nath does mm-hmm. and Annie Baker and like all about. I'm all about having you know people not talk on stage and yes. <laughs> um, and things like that. And so I um, am very uh, drawn to those sort of playwrights and those sort of plays and Rajiv Joseph and, and, and those sort of things as well, I would say. How yeah. do you stay theatrically active? Um, well, we... Uh, Random Access has a lot of cool programs, like, because... As Jen's been saying, we're really interested in creating communities and, and whatnot, and so we have a few programs that we do that sort of allow us to do that. Uh, we have an ongoing um, monthly show called Drunk Restoration Comedy, um, in which we're, we do different restoration comedies, uh, but our cast gets drunk while they do it. The audience um, also gets drunk. The audience also gets drunk, and we have drinking, you know, d- one of those things. Yeah, it's really fun. But we're able to, we do that, in order to sort of like do shows that don't get done ever um, and also to sort of um, make them contemporary, make them fun. And then we also have um, a reading series called RAR, uh, Random Access Access Workshop Readings, um, in which we uh, work with usually three plays, three new plays, um, and have a development process over about six months. It's a longer one. 
And so, I mean, those are two ways with us that we're able to do that um, because, like, the workshop readings, you know, it's, like, it doesn't cost money to to sit and talk about theater and sure. read pieces and, and play um, and hopefully in the future give those people a chance to produce those pieces. Um, but it is fun to give people a chance to kind of um, sit and work and have time to develop. Um, I mean, that's that's one one a couple ways I think that we're able to stay stay active. What is your favorite theater to see theater in? Now, if, if you don't um, have a specific space, right, a, like a general style of theater, All right? You know, I kind of love a theater at the 14th Street Y. Mm-hmm. Just because the ceilings are yeah. so, so high. high. It's it's so high. high. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got such a beautiful script. I love, I love like, theater for a new audience, um, which makes sense with what we do. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I love the way that they um, stage classics as well. Um, I like to see everything they do. Um, I really like Playwrights Horizons, uh, St. Anne's Warehouse big fans. I don't know. What else What for you? Oh, I love the small space at the signature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That one's great, especially when you get to sit in like that weird little top yeah. <laughs> balcony thing that they have going on. Um, I love intimate, intimate houses. Yeah, I feel like there are so many more that now that you asked me that question, of course I can't think of them. Um, but I agree. I like I like the small ones where you go in and you're sitting yeah. feet from <laughs> from the people on where stage. Where do you go post show to hang out, decompress? Bars. <laughs> anywhere <laughs> no, anywhere in particular. Um where do we go? Uh, I mean, we do. We we hang out in the West Village a lot with drunk restoration comedy. It's true. Um, so we like to to go to um, like Malt House and things like that. We do spend a lot of time at the Malt House. We definitely cast these shows at the Malt House. <laughs> that yes. um, down in the village. Um, yeah, we're always on McDougal Street. Cafe right Reggio. We go down there a lot. Um, yeah, I feel like that's our block. Yeah. Down in that Mike, area. Mike and I just went to the Folly. Oh, the other great. day. Yeah, so Amity Hall. They, they, they love us now. That's Perfect. Great. And are they sponsors yet? Not yet, but we're gonna, we'll work on it. We they, are They're, they're going to come to the show. Oh, good. So we can suck her in. There you go. I'm good at tricking people into things. Jen nice. is really good at that. <laughs> All right. What is a dream play pairing that you'd want to do next? Hmm. Well, or if you can, like, uh, if you each want to throw out one and let's see really. how they can go together. Go together. Uh, I mean, we've talked about the rover forever. Um, what? I mean, I I am with you with the with the women in interesting roles thing. Um, what else have we talked about? I don't know. We'll have to wait till something inspires. Yeah, we're so, we're so deep in this one right now. That That's I haven't fair. Been That's kind of true. Anything else? That's fair. <laughs> we, actually, we actually have um, a residency. We're part of the 3B residency at IRT mm-hmm. in, uh, in the fall. And we still have to decide what we're doing for that. We have some ideas. We have some ideas, but nothing, some ideas. nothing concrete yet. <laughs> so 
So we're going to move into the pop five rapid fire. So I'm going to give you five pop culture type questions. And you're just going to say the first thing that comes to mind. And then you can explain it if you'd like. Um, They'll be easy. Nothing too crazy. So number one is the Met Gala. Fancy costumes. Celebrities. (laughs) Did you see any of them from last night? No. I saw a few of them. Well, I saw like... I only saw, like, Katy Perry, like, dressed in that head-to-toe red with the... That's pretty much one of the only ones that I saw. But Yeah, I, the, the, the one that um, stuck out for me was Celine Dion. Um, whoever dressed her um, looked like they were playing a joke on her. Oh, oh no. That's no. really bad. She showed up and everyone was like, Celine, joke's on you. Yeah. Oh, no. Number two is 13 Reasons Why. I haven't seen it. Me neither. Selena Gomez, right? Yeah, well, she produced it. She's a, she's a producer. Oh, okay. She's not in it. That's what. But that's I read a, I an article about her and her mom producing it, which seemed interesting. She yeah. produced it. Yeah, Ooh. it was supposed to be a movie vehicle for Selena, but then it took so long to do it, she outgrew the part. Whoa. Interesting. Yeah, and it, it works as a serial, serialized piece. Right. So there's a lot of drama surrounding it. I know. Sorry, we can't talk about it. No, it's totally um, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what every, I felt like everyone on Facebook was like, I'm watching 13 Reasons Why, and it, that's what it's called, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, we're like, okay, I've decided that I do not like it, or that I do like yeah. it, or everyone had their, like, what they thought about it. Number three is Jimmy Kimmel. Something about a baby, right? Something about his... <laughs> late night? Late night show? Mm-hmm. Okay. He, what happened? His, him and his wife are having a baby or something? Um, his child has, I think, a heart condition. Oh. And he did a monologue about, you know, Obamacare and why it's necessary. Oh, wow. Okay. So that was, that was last night. Yeah. Um, number four, schmackeries. Yum. Yes, I can talk about schmackeries. That I can speak to. It is down the street from us currently. <laughs> the key lime, so good. Key lime, I go for funfetti. I'm like a classic girl. And are you going to be there after every performance? Probably. Yeah. Like, chances are I'll good. probably go there after this podcast. <laughs> I just love that, like, their chocolate milk, too, with, like, that maple, maple bacon. And they have good coffee. They do. I'm all about schmackeries. I have, I have a loyalty card. Thanks, Belly. Nice. Well, they just got rid of it. <gasps> no! Yeah, you had to use your points by the 20th. No! I, have I, I got a free Tumblr and a cookie out of it. Because <gasps> I had, like, 125. This is terrible. Because yeah. they, they have a new loyalty doing? program. I'm going to go downstairs and cry. <laughs> and sign up for the new one. And sign up for the new one. In number five, the Tony Awards. Yeah, I um, wh- I looked briefly at what Natasha Pierre has the most, right? Yeah, and they, they get the do, most. They do. Of the, oh, yeah, that happened this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was I saw Natasha Pierre like last week. Um, but I saw it at Ars Nova. Mm-hmm. Ars Nova. Speaking of another theater oh, that yeah. I see everything they ever do. That I, that was the one. Um, but I saw it at Ars Nova like opening night, the very very first time. Um, and so it was so interesting. Like I walked into that Broadway theater. It has. Mm-hmm. Well, when I walked in and I was just like, whoa, this is so, like, I swear by the end of the show, there were, I was like, you're in this, like, there were so many people yeah, on stage. It's crazy. Did you yeah. sit in the audience or did you sit on stage? We sat in the audience. We had like, uh, we were like in the fourth row or mm-hmm. something, but, uh, we were there and, um. But it, but it's cool. Like it, it, I just felt like by the end of it, I was sort of like, there's so many people in the ensemble, that I was like, I haven't seen you yet. Uh-huh. Hey, what's up? <laughs> we were sitting on stage. I didn't really 
feel that way because I felt like everyone was so close to me all the time. Right. That I started having like intimate experiences with some of them that those were the ones I just kind of followed. That makes sense. Uh, I saw uh, it was so great though because it, it reminds me of, you know, like in Spring Awakening when you would sit on the stage and stuff and I did that too many times to count. <laughs> and I saw these two little girls like dressed in like their like Natasha costumes oh my God, sitting adorable. on stage and like singing along and it made me really, really happy. Um, but anyway, I we were wondering like what all I, I I keep forgetting that they've had a very successful commercial run before even coming to Broadway. But yeah. but it's gonna be such an interesting year. Like yeah, Dear I, Evan I'm, Hansen I'm excited. I, I think it's I'm definitely team great comet. So I hope yeah. having more nominations than Evan Hansen may help things, but we'll see. I know. See what these I, I just want. the experience of it. I'm, I love theater that just makes you feel like you're in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, but what I really like, I mean, I didn't get to see it before it came to Broadway. But what I loved about it was it felt like immersive, but mm-hmm. it wasn't an immersive play. Yes. Right. Which is, I think, what people forget about theater is that it's meant to, you're meant to have an individual experience no matter what you don't have to be yeah you don't have sure. to be walking around with like headphones and someone guiding you to have Absolutely. a unique experience right although in the original you got to take shots of vodka the whole time I well like, i mean so... you do there's no vodka <laughs> i mean shots, i had you could get pierogies you may yes get no shaker. absolutely I did they've get done so many and things too. i didn't get either i, no! <laughs> I didn't get so either sad. either but it is true. It, you're so right. Like, there's still... It's they immersive do so light. much to... Um, there you go. Period light, immersive light. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I I am interested it, to see... Because, you know... And then Hello Dolly. <laughs> and Hello Dolly. And then Hello Dolly. <laughs> so, we do something on the podcast where I have my previous guest ask a question for my next guest. So, this is a question from Josh Young. What is your happiest memory of a vacation? Vacation. Hmm. Is it cheating if it was like recent? No, not at all. Oh yeah, you had a great vacation I recently. Did have a great you you talk about it. What you do? Um, I my boyfriend and I went to Iceland last month, and I had the most wonderful morning. We were in. I'm gonna pronounce this city <laughs> wrong, but a a which is up in the north, and we were staying in like this little cabin that was on a cliff looking over the city, and I woke up one morning, and I was just like looking at this beautiful vista with some coffee, and it was probably the most peaceful moment I've had in a really long time. Cool. I thought of mine, sort of. (laughs) Um, Let me think. I mean, I, I guess... One of the most fun vacation. Well, okay. I mean, it's gonna be so lame, but I have to say Harry Potter World. Like I, <gasps> no, Harry I, <laughs> I mean, no. I know it's not lame. I know Harry oh. Potter World is not lame, but I when I went to Harry Potter World, I um, I like had heard before that if you're the first one in the park in the morning, that you will definitely get chosen to uh, have your wand to choose you at Ollivander's. So I made sure that I was the first person in the park. I sprinted through Universal Studios. You should knock people down. I actually, like, when I got there, <laughs> I passed it up, and, uh, and so I had to, like, go back, and these two kids had jumped in front of me, and I was like, 
I will give you anything to let me get in front of you. I was like, I have $40. Do you want $40? <laughs> like, here, you can have it. And they were so afraid of me. They were just like, that's okay. You can, you can go in front of me. And I was like a senior in college at this point in time. So I was an adult. Anyway, it was like the time of my life. But I, the wand chooses you and then you get to make magic And you know what? The, the wand did choose me and it really paid off. So That's a magical moment. I think that that's probably that's a, good one. a really my magical vacation moment. I lost it when I walked in for the first time. Oh yeah, definitely. It was so good. Tears everywhere. Well, now is your chance to ask my next guest a question. Hmm. I have one, maybe. It's, it's so it can be anything. It doesn't have to anything be theater. Anything you want. I think that I want to say sort of along the same lines of the vacation. What is, what is the best meal you've ever eaten in your life? All right. Do a food one. Yeah, that's good. Okay, I like that's a good question. Describe the meal. What All you right. ate. Where you were. I like that. There's like three point three parts. Well, if you've made it this far in the uh, podcast, use hashtag period light. Uh, oh, that's a good hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> Although, uh, don't. <laughs> um, where can we find you on social media? Um, we are at RA Theater Co. Theater with an R-E. Mm-hmm. Um, that's our Instagram and our Twitter. And then on Facebook, we're slash Random Access Theater. RandomAccessTheater.com. That's the best one. <laughs> and give so us funny. the um, all the facts again about the shows and where they can get tickets. Resistance and Rebellion in Rep, two plays, Antigone and Hopla, We're Alive, playing May 4th through 28th in Rep at the Davenport Theater Loft on 45th Street, right above Schmackeries. <laughs> get your Schmackeries. And tickets are $18, or you can do a package deal. You can see both shows for $28. It's a deal. Um, it's a deal. And, and you can get them at randomaccesstheater.com. And when you book your tickets, if you tweet at us through the ticketing site, it will give you 5% off. Fantastic. There you go. Well, you heard it. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. A big thank you to Jen and Victoria for joining me. Don't forget to visit our Patreon page for information on becoming a patron. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at theaterthenow.com via our question link. Until next time, I'm Michael Block, and that was Block Talk. <laughs>